Welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of the How Much Greater podcast. This is going to be a Mark's Mentors episode, which means I am continuing my interview with Greg Graham. Some things to wonder about here, the number 94%, 94%, why is that important? What is so special about that number? You're going to find out in this episode. And when it comes to customer service and things that we can't know, why is that important to focus on some of the data points that we can't know? And what in the world does the phrase go to the Gemba mean? You're going to find out that and more in this episode, in this interview with Greg Graham. Greg Graham is at Greg Graham on Twitter and in search of profoundknowledge.com and on Facebook at in search of profound knowledge as well. So I hope you enjoy this second part of our interview with Greg Graham. All right. If you're okay with it, we're going to kind of move into a little bit uh, more focus on the the systems and the data analysis piece. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You had a blog post in April of last year about making sense of data, and mm-hmm. in it you reflected on this need to get multiple data points over time, and you warned against confusing common cause with special cause. And I know those those terms, those phrases come up a lot. But, um, again, kind of like you were describing earlier, a lot of us, you know, we're in the classroom or we're in administration and we're just doing our jobs and we're not really understanding things um, at this level. So mm-hmm. even terms that we should be using a lot or should really understand, can you unpack uh, the distinction between common cause and special cause? Yes. You, so you have a couple things going on. You have system thinking uh, in, in, on one part of this, and then you have statistics on another. So um, without getting too much in the weeds, basically, uh, Deming, okay, so let me back up. Deming was a statistician by trade. He was trained in that, and think about this, for 70-plus years, he dealt with numbers. And I don't know if many people know about this. He was famous around the world. And um, for, for as a consultant with companies and countries and governments. So um, I want to say 1930 census, he worked for the Census Bureau and was, was contracted with it. So he understands counting um, and statistics and had a lot, lot, so much more experience in statistics than any of us would have. So I would defer to his judgment before I would probably defer to anybody else's. So mm. he's, in, you know, he's, he's the guy that really understands this. So he attributed if, if, if something was – if the system was in control, all right, meaning uh, if the system or the outcomes that you're getting is within a certain range deviation-wise, so standard deviation meaning you don't see very much fluctuation, the system would be in control. Uh, if you're getting wide, varied outcomes, that means your system's out of control, and you need to get your system under control before you can start improving anything. So he talked a lot about that. So 
when he talked about uh, just the beginning control, and then he talked about common cause variation and special cause variation were two different things, two different sources of variation, and then you have to deal with them differently. Um, one thing he said, and that's why I preface him being a statistician and understanding numbers better than anybody I would think of, when he said that the system was the cause of 94% of the outcomes, hmm. okay, that would be common cause variation. Mm-hmm. So it's your system that's, developed, that's creating this. And then special cause is about 6%. Now, I, and I've talked to people about this in the Dominion community, and they basically said, you know, like, what is, where does 94% come from? What does 6% come from? Because if, like, early in his days, he started saying 80% and 20%, but then he moved it to, like, different numbers, but the most common thing we hear is 94% common cause from the system, 6% special cause. So basically what he's saying is that the system is so much more powerful than we give it credit for. That whatever system it is we have. Um, and then we, so that, so common cause variation is systemic cause. And then um, uh, special cause would be things that are, would be happening outside of our system. Um, so that something special happened. So I think in the, in the, the blog I write about, um, you know, you're, if you're commuting to work every day or, or, try, or driving to school every day and it takes you about 15 minutes every day, you know, there's going to be variation. It won't be 15 minutes exactly every single day. Some days it may take you 13 minutes. Sometimes it may take you 17 minutes. But there will be, if you plotted that on uh, a chart, you would see there would be, be variation, but it would be very consistent. But let's say it took you an hour to get to work one day. That would be way out of – it would be very, mm-hmm. it would very greatly there. There would probably be a special cause keeping you from getting to work around 15 minutes. And let's say there was this, this huge accident or explosion or whatever happened, or let's say um, a signal light is completely out and there's traffic going crazy. But anyway, there would be a cause for that. It would be outside of – the system there, out of the norm. Right. So that's that's basically what uh, special cause means. All right. So how we deal with common cause versus special cause in a classroom, I, I think we fail to realize how important it is to de- develop a classroom environment, a classroom system, systems and processes in the classroom that can get us better results for our students, with better learning experiences for our students. Um, a lot of times what we, we deal with, since we are dealing with individuals and grades are individual, we start, to start, we start to think in terms of special cause all the time. Hmm. And it's not that. A lot of times we, if we, were, we would be better off if we started looking at the classroom as a system and improve that system and the systems within that system that would yield better results for our students um, and would actually yield better learning. And I, I like to say yield better learning experiences than, than results because we, we get focused on the outcomes a lot and, and not on the actual process that leads to that. And a lot of times the, that number 
which is a grade, doesn't necessarily mean that there's better learning happening. So I'd rather talk about better learning experience for students. And so sometimes you'll you hear me catch myself talking about better learning experiences, uh, yeah. which is more meaningful, I think, to students than, than grades are. So anyway, um, if we end up spending more and more time on those processes and systems within the, the classroom, I think it would be better uh, for our students and their, their learning experiences rather than dealing with everything being a special cause. Now, um, we do have special causes, and I'm not, we're not discounting that at all. Right. In fact, um, a great example of special cause uh, in learning would be special, uh, anything that would uh, qualify a student for special education. Um, so I, I remember as, as a teacher hearing the gripes complaints about from t some teachers that would complain about uh, special education and mm -hmm. the, the supports we would provide students in special education. And that was a failure of understanding special cause right there. Because um, mm, they were looking at the student being part of just common cause, they, they're just like anybody else. Well, yeah, they're just like anybody else, except <laughs> they may have a learning disability. And we need to provide a support that enables them to have just as good a learning experience as anybody else. So that, that, uh, that's, a case for, uh, that's a case of special cause that we have built into our system uh, to deal with special cause. So, so um, we don't have to get too specific with this, but just mm -hmm. a follow-up question to that then um, as, you're, mm -hmm. as you're describing that. Mm -hmm. So would you take – so you have a student with special learning needs or mm -hmm. a learning disability, mm -hmm. um, but then you have a number of those students who have similar – a similar disability, uh, similar needs, mm -hmm. do, does that group, the special education in, in and of itself, then become another system that you, so. yeah. that you um, can have common cause and special cause even within that? I believe so. I think you're right on that. I think there, there can be, you know, even though a student may be in a self-contained special ed classroom, that classroom in itself, is, is a system and can have a system. Yeah. yeah. And can have a common cause and special causes as well. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, you, you talked about, we, we look at outliers, uh, our individual cases a lot and we focus more on the outcomes. Um, my, my original question to you was going to be, why do you think this keeps happening? But you kind of are, are explaining that as you're answering mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And so, if, if what would your one piece of advice be, I guess, to <laughs> kind of putting you on the spot with that, but yeah. to a classroom teacher to yeah. just say, how do you resist that? I, I've, from what I've seen and what I've tried to do to, to avoid doing, I, to me, there's a lot of overreaction. Mm. And uh, in, I guess there's overreaction dealing with individuals. Um, and resist that need to overreact to things. It seemed like um, as an administrator, you would hear, you've probably experienced this, teachers come to you with solutions a lot. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I've heard this from a couple of different people. Um, 
I think the person that actually said this the first was was um, Myron Travis. Says, what problem is that a solution for? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I, I remember hearing that from teachers like, hey, we need to be doing this. Says, well, what's the, what is the problem? It's like it might be a problem for that individual teacher. They see it as a problem, but it's for them, not for everybody else. So then you're basically preaching the choir if you end up addressing it. So. Um, well, I think sometimes we end up overreacting to things that, hey, this may be a special cause, but it's not a problem for the whole system. So we're not we're going to treat it as a special cause. We're going to deal with it right there. Um, there, there's um, here's here's an example. Uh, let's say in your classroom, I'm, I'm, I remember this happening in, in the school I was at. Um, because of no pass to play, I remember that because I was coaching. We had a we had a football player who lost his mother um, due to cancer mm. during the fall. Missed some work. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously devastating. Right. And we had we had a teacher uh, giving a failing grade, mm. and he was ineligible for three weeks. And it's like, do you not understand what just happened to this kid? <laughs> Yeah. You know, he probably deserves an incomplete, you know, uh, mm-hmm. if you understand, like, no pass, no play, and incompletes, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's, let's have some understanding here. This is a special cause. This kid has gone through something traumatic, and um, there is a reason why he has a failing grade um, at the time. But let's have, yeah. some, let's have some common – let's have some, some profound knowledge. I almost caught, said a common sense, not common sense. <laughs> Let's have some profound knowledge here and understand this is a special cause. What can we do to help this kid out uh, versus a kid that's just blowing off the class and not doing anything in the classroom, you know? And even then, it's like, okay, why is that happening? Uh, is there a special cause going on there, or is there a common cause going on there? Is there something going on in the classroom that's preventing a lot of students from learning uh, and experiencing the learning experiences that they could possibly have? So that's that, that's the way my brain works is, 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 uh, as I'm going through this. is like, all right, is this common cause? If it's common cause and we need to improve those results, then we need to look at the system. And that's something that's even, even uh, common cause, if, if we're not getting results we want, we should be working on uh, the whole system to improve those results. Um, but it's, and, and a lot of times we end up trying to treat – all the special causes within that, and it's it's not that it's develop. It, you're then you're reacting. You're putting out fires. Yeah, yeah. Try to improve the whole system that you can improve your results in. So, I don't know if that answers the question. I probably went way off the. No, no, that's really good. That's really good. And I'm guessing that also in terms of always putting out fires, uh, because I'm, I'm I'm thinking how much I wrestle with this in my world. But um, also, you, you know, from your experience in administration, um, I'm guessing that also not only are you just kind of reacting all the time, putting out fires and not really getting much traction with the whole system, but you could actually be creating more problems because you are you have a systemic response to yep. an outlier. Yep, absolutely. Oh, that's good. So, boy, we see that all the time, I think, in education and, and <laughs> Just oh, even yeah. on a grand scale. Uh, oh yeah, we create this this process to deal with something that 
that not many people are dealing with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everybody, it's a new, it's a new program. Hey, we're gonna all do this, and and then yeah. they frustrate teachers. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. Yeah. So then um, I'm, I'm going along here, and I'm tracking with you through your blog, and you throw me a curveball on this uh, because, okay, so you're talking about numbers and data, statistics, and then there's um, uh, one of your posts was titled Avoiding the Testing Factory Trap, and you get into this idea of unknowable figures Yes. Um, in our efforts to gauge the effectiveness of our work. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense on the surface to me, but kind of tying it in with what we've been talking about. Um, so those people that are saying, okay, it needs to be hard data and we're looking at certain statistics mm-hmm. or numbers all the time, mm-hmm. how would you sell this idea of focusing on unknowable figures, and uh, especially in a system that we're in where you have almost everything centered on this once-a-year high-stakes testing? <laughs> all um, right, so... So the classic example of unknowable figures is um, customer service. And let's say you have a bad customer experience with a, with a business. Um, and that bad customer experience, that person goes and tells people, don't go to this place of business because of X, Y, or Z. So can you calculate the loss of revenue on that bad customer experience. Gotcha. That's unknowable. Can't do yeah. it. Versus, all right, let's say I have a great customer experience at, you know, this this one place that I do business with and I mean I'm not just good, but completely blown away, delighted. I want to tell everybody about this new place, you know, let's say it's a new restaurant or something. I want to hey everybody y'all need to try this. I have the best burritos in town or whatever. Um can you calculate, can you put a hard number on that, the impact of, of me sharing that information with everybody? It's, you can't do that. So, mm-hmm. But I will say I would venture to guess that the bad customer experience has a bigger impact than the good customer experience. <laughs> so we might yeah. be able to know that, but even though we know that, we, we probably guess that, we still don't know the hard facts, the hard, hard figures. We don't. It's an it's an unknowable figure. Um, another thing would be um, the impact or of uh, of training. Why do we Why do we train teachers? Why do we have continuous learning and continuous improvement? Why Why do we continue to train our teachers? Why do we send them and pay money to send them to? Let's say okay. It it a lot of schools I've been to. Um, some of the best training I've, I've experienced was through Abbott. Okay, yeah. And, you know, there's there's lots of money spent sending teachers to Dallas or San Antonio for Abbott training. You have to pay for the hotel. You have to actually pay for the training. You know, uh, there, there's there's a lot of money spent there. So why are we spending that money? Um, can you can you pinpoint uh, a hard fact or hard number? Can you calculate the impact that training has on student learning in the future? Mm. You can't do that. Um, It's an unknowable number. It's an unknowable figure. So, yeah, there are certain things. Another thing that we talked about, um, we uh, can't – this is a question I I kind of started asking myself a few years ago. 
can can teachers engage students in their learning? Yeah, maybe so. Can teachers um, disengage students? Absolutely. And and I know because I've done that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've disengaged students in, in my classroom um, and uh, from their learning. And you know what? Can you can you calculate the 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 number or the 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 figure for that. It's, it, there's mm-hmm. no data point for that. Right, right. So, and so there's like when we talk about David Langford saying that there, you know, some things we need to stop doing. Yeah, some of those things that we need to stop doing disengage students from their learning. Yeah, absolutely. That's an unknowable figure. So mm. hopefully that, that yeah. answers that question. Yeah, that, that clarifies that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things you uh, talk about as well is going where, if I understand it correctly, going where the action is, going where the process is. So if you're going mm-hmm. to review a system, um, the phrase, go to the Gimba. Um, yeah. Uh, tell us what that means, number one, and, and number two, and this kind of ties back to what I was wanting to ask you earlier about the things in our system that pull us away from uh, what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so, what does "go to the gamma" mean? Number one, and what barriers did you have to overcome huh. to to do that? That's a great question. Um, and I think, as leaders, as, if you're an educational leader, you have to do that. Um, so, going to the gamma means go to the place where action happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that from uh, from Toyota, the Toyota production system. And um, and uh, just to, some background on Deming. Um, after World War II, Deming went to Japan um, and helped um, Japan uh, rebuild after World War II, after the bombing of, of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and and all the destruction that had happened. Um, and they went from being a very poor country, the products made there were very poor quality to being five years after he started working with them being a leader in the world for, for quality. So in one of those companies that he worked with, Toyota and Toyota in their Toyota production system, um, they talk about how managers, managers are when they're, when they're managers, they've, they've, they have been brought up in the system. So they, worked on the floor in different parts, but they, when they progress, it's like they're not managers coming out of college. They're, they're managers after being on the floor for 15 years or so. So they know their system really well. But they also know that it's important to go and see what's actually happening. So what's, when I do that as, a, as, a, as a administrator, if I go to the Gimba, if I go to the classroom where the learning is happening, mm-hmm. And I really look and see what's happening in the classroom, and I have a better chance of supporting that teacher and improving the learning uh, in that classroom. Um, and going to the Gimba also means when I go and I go and see, I am removing my my biases, my preconceived notions, my hey, I think the teacher is meaning to do this, but this isn't. What is actually happening in the classroom? Because mm-hmm. I know as a teacher, when I, when I was developing lesson plans and I was, you know, as a teacher, I went from the lesson plan being what was I doing as a teacher to eventually 
the goal was what were the students doing. And um, the better lesson plans that I wrote were based on what were the students doing and what were their experiences. If, if I go in the classroom and I, and I assume this is what the teacher's meaning to do <laughs> with the kids, but it's not happening, then it's, it's very important to be very honest and say, this is, I know this is what you're meaning to do, but this is what I see the students actually doing on their desk or in the lab. So it's very important to see what is actually happening in the classroom and provide that type of feedback versus, hey, you, you, your lesson plan looks good, this is this, that. So it would be one thing, if I, if I went through teachers' lesson plans, just read, the, read lesson plans, that wouldn't really tell me very much. It would tell me what their intention was, but it wouldn't tell me what's actually happening in the classroom. So I actually have to go in there and see. But yeah. also, it goes back to, I, I, had, a, I had a teacher once uh, was frustrated with her classroom. There's one class in particular, and um, she was frustrated with, with the behavior of the kids, doing all this stuff. And, well, I walked in one day, and because um, I wanted to, I wanted to support her. She was, you know, and she had uh, had gotten on to a kid about having her cell phone out, and she kind of went on a rant with the kid saying, that's distracting to me mm. as a teacher. And so I talked to her later. I was like, provide that feedback. It's like, you know, if you if you go in and you explain to the kids how it's affecting you, that has nothing. They don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, some of them will start to do that more. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, you know, when we start looking at, and that's what I loved about David Langford's uh, training, is if you put this in the hands of kids and they see how it's impacting themselves and how yeah. they can have control over the system themselves and, and improve the system, they have more buy-in and, and there's, there, there's a lot more improvement that can happen that way. So uh, it just completely went out went a no, different direction than I'm sure. But that's to me is that's what's going to, what is going to the gimbal. Yeah, no, that that's really good. Did you ever find a, a trick <laughs> for getting there more often? Uh, because you know, oh my, yeah, that's <laughs> the thing that frustrated me, Mark. That's what frustrated me too. Me. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like there's always something that prevents you from getting into a classroom and you can and honestly as, a, as an administrator you, you can make anything to keep you from going to the classroom yeah. you can always have something happen so one thing that helped me a lot uh and i didn't learn this until my last year as administrator uh and it, i ended up with an administrative assistant um that was awesome mm-hmm. she was able to schedule me and and i ended up leaning on her because she was much more organized than I was, um, and I and I wasn't like terribly disorganized. I was really good at it. Yeah. So uh, she, I, I gave her my calendar, and and I, and I would tell her, "Hey, this is when I need to be out in classrooms. Can you help me with this?" And she would help me with that. Okay. And uh, I think having that team there um, is is really important to have a teammate that can help you with that. Um, another thing we did, and we didn't we didn't do a great job of this at Rouse, uh, but we started to look at this and try to implement this more. But uh, as an assistant, as an administrative team in the assistant principal's office, 
we would try to make sure, like, we would let everybody know, hey, I, I need to be in this classroom from, you know, classrooms first and second period on Wednesday. Can y'all cover my st- anything that happened yeah. with yeah. me? And we would we would do that. Uh, that kind of enables you to, to to get in the classrooms more. Um, I'll be honest with you. Um, when we went to the new uh, uh, evaluation system, it actually it frustrated me because there's so much detail that I had to put I had to put into and the things that I was like, is this really helping a teacher improve? <laughs> mm. And and I and it was frustrating to me because I was like, some of this is like I don't know if this is really worth doing, but I had to do it because of my job. Yeah. Um, and and that because it was something I didn't enjoy doing, that was as much of a barrier as anything else. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, just some of the the administrative work that you have to do to to keep track of information and write down information. I mean, it's just it, it's because I knew it was going to take a long time. I knew I needed to do it, but it took a long time to do it. It just it it kind of turned me off of getting the classrooms. I wasn't able to actually get in there and see what was going on. Going up this process versus actually going and, and helping a, a learner. But that's just me. I don't know if that's anybody else, but for me, that was my experience. Yeah, I uh, uh, am definitely disappointed and frustrated by not getting in the classrooms enough. Um, mm-hmm. And what I'm encouraged by is we just spent a lot of time talking to teachers and, and getting feedback from them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this has been true at other campuses, but especially where I am right now. The teachers are are more than open to it. They're welcoming. They're like, get in my classroom as much as you can. I need you to know my world. If you're gonna if you're gonna try to give me any feedback on my world, you need to know my world. Um, and the more often you come in, it actually lessens the the, the pressure anyway. Because if you come yeah. in rarely, then I think you're coming in for evaluative purposes only. Right. And, uh, so and I think teachers are open to that. There's and there's a, a trust that has to be developed with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sounds like you probably, and I know you, Mark. You've probably developed that, spent a lot of time developing that trust with teachers. Um, going in, if, if so, this is my experience coaching-wise and teaching as an administrator. If the person you're mentoring or supporting understands that you have their best interest at heart and want the best for them, they're very willing to, to have you come in and, and help you. Yeah, uh, help. Um, and. You know, the ones that didn't trust you to do that, they were very closed off. So yeah. um, I remember, it's funny, I remember, uh, so I was over science uh, at Rouse, and I remember it was so much easier to go into a couple of teachers' classrooms because they were so open, and mm-hmm. they wanted me to come in, and they would, like, it was almost like they were, they were very welcoming to me, and it was, so much easier for me to go in there and and, and, uh, and see the learning taking place in the classroom because they were so interesting and wanted that feedback. All right, so that brings us to the end of part two of the interview with Greg Graham. 
a couple of things that stood out to me, this idea of unknowable figures and customer service and customer service actually being an important part of what we do in education. Just have to look at it a little bit differently. And the need to be in classrooms more. Wow, that uh, is really impactful. And I think it's something that all administrators kind of wrestle with and know that is true and then trying to find ways to make that happen. But it all ties together with systems and what systems do we have in place. It gave me a lot to reflect on in my own situation about that. So I am looking forward to the final part, part three, and I hope you will join us again for part three that where we wrap up this interview with Greg Graham. Thanks so much for listening today. Have a great day. And don't forget that you can find us at How Much Greater on Twitter and also that you can find Greg Graham at Greg Graham on Twitter and in search of profoundknowledge.com.